My name's Ollie, if I haven't met you, and for the next moment, we're going to be diving into uh, the Bible, which we believe is God's Word. Uh, if you were here with us last week, uh, we're looking at a book called 1 Corinthians, a letter written by Paul to a church in a port city called Corinth, uh, a bustling city. Uh, I encourage you, if you have a Bible or if you've got a phone app, uh, get that open in front of you. We really want us to be working through this together and... Um, and learning what God's word has to say to us. Now this church that Paul was writing to, you could say was pretty dysfunctional. There was division and, and immorality. Uh, and what they need to hear from Paul is heaps helpful for us as we consider what it is to be the church and what it is to follow Jesus. Uh, so as we get into this, uh, let me pray for us uh, and let's ask God to speak to us. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word, uh, that it is true and that it speaks to us today. Lord, I ask as we, um, as we look at this passage that you would be opening our hearts to uh, understand uh, what it is that um, is your power and strength to, to transform lives. Uh, Lord, we're so grateful for your gospel uh, and we just pray that you'd help us to understand more of you, that we'd, you would transform us into the people that you want us to be. So I commit this, to, this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if someone was to ask you, uh, what do you want for your future? You know, maybe what do you want when you grow up? You might say happiness or I want companionship, but, but what else? What do you want for your future? Maybe turn to the person on the couch next to you if you're by yourself, just shout at the screen. That's right, success. Uh, everyone wants to succeed. We want to do well. Uh, and so much ink has been spilt on this very topic. I mean, the internet is littered with articles on what it takes to be successful. Uh, three keys to success in life. Here's one. Write down your goals. A powerful belief system. Invest in yourself. Or another article, believe in yourself, build positive habits. Or Michael Jordan, I failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. I mean, how to be successful is clickbait uh, like nothing else. And you know what? The church is not immune to this. How many leaders have asked, what does it take to make a successful church? Have you ever thought about this? Is it a vision or, or strategy? Is it uh, people focus or about the presentation? Is it about social media presence? Is it about hospitality or, or uh, statistical analysis or leader training? Or if we're not in leadership, then we may come to church with our own set of expectations about what it is that makes a successful church. Uh, ask this family. Our nation's churches provide fog machines for families worshipping at home. I mean, they're thinking creatively about uh, while we're church in uh, social distancing, how can we be effective? I mean, this of course is a fake article, but it cheekily touches on the, the different ways that we're trying in ministry to, to be effective, to reach people. What are we relying on to be a thriving and a fruitful church? This was a divisive issue for the Corinthian church, especially in a bustling city like Corinth. Remember, the Greeks were obsessed with rhetoric and the Jews were demanding signs. We saw last week the church was divided over the status of this preacher or that. What makes a church successful? 
You might be thinking, well, I'm not a church leader. How does this apply? You may even be tuning in with us and you're not a Christian. And what does it matter to you about successful churches? Why should you keep listening? Well, the answer is so counterintuitive that Paul calls it foolishness. And it may seem that way to you today. But for those who believe, Paul calls it the power of God. Paul tells us the secret of God's power and God's strategy for transforming lives in his world. And we need to know this. We need to know this if anything of what we do in church is going to, be, is going to matter for us to be effective. Uh, so today's message has three parts, each about what it is that I think as we look through this passage, what it is that makes a church effective. Uh, firstly, knowing what saves and what doesn't save, having a good self-awareness, and lastly, depending on the right things. So let's start. Look down at your Bibles from verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We read this and it, and, it, and it sounds familiar to us. I mean, for those who've been in church for a while, the message of the cross just kind of rolls off the tongue and, and we're used to it. But try and put yourselves in, in the feet of uh, the very first hearers that, that this would be the power of God. It was blasphemous for the religion and, and a joke for the skeptics. The cross was a symbol of shame, of of death of defeat of torture it was messy it was it was disgusting and christians are going around and saying that this is the power of god and yet paul's going to show us that this is the dividing line for all humanity god would use the cross to bring salvation and and no other way nothing else could work it's why he quotes from Isaiah chapter 29. Uh, we read, uh, he quotes it in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. There's no other way that people could be saved. The smartest person in the world couldn't figure this out. The most intelligent, advanced civilization couldn't progress its way to, to work this out. Instead, God would use the message of the cross. And this message would be the difference between perishing and being saved. To the perishing, it is foolishness, but to those who would believe, to the saved, it is God's power. And this is what we need to understand. Knowing what saves and what doesn't save. So firstly, Paul explains to the Corinthians what will not save them. Uh, verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the wise person? Now that word wise person, uh, from the Greek word here in context, uh, better translates as a person, as like a defender of public philosophy. I uh, think you're kind of uh, a Stoics or the, think Plato or Socrates 
uh, those men who claim to be able to uh, make sense out of life and death. In all their collective wisdom, they couldn't work this out. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? The religious person, probably like the Jewish uh, Pharisee or, or rabbi. In all their religion and, and rules and long prayers, they couldn't work this out. And where is the philosopher of this age? In Corinth, these would have been your, your debaters, your TV show hosts, the idolized TED Talk speakers who were obsessed with the delivery as important as the content, as the content, what they were saying. In, the, in all their fancy words and, uh, and rhetoric, they couldn't work this out. They couldn't work this out. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Imagine God like a, a frustrated parent as he watches his child try and put on pants as a t-shirt and it ain't going to work and it, and it looks kind of foolish in the process. And this is as humans are trying to work out their way of salvation. It's, it's foolishness. Paul summarizes these, these efforts that just weren't going to cut it. Uh, verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Let's start with the Jews. The Jews were basing, uh, their, the, the Jewish people's faith was conditional. Uh, they would believe if they saw the signs. I, I'll believe in God if he heals me. You know, I, I won't accept that it's true unless I can see it. It was conditional. Well, the Greeks, on the other hand, expected persuasive, important speech and convincing logic. You know, you needed a Harvard degree, uh, a Giorgio Armani suit, uh, and a holographic PowerPoint slide uh, that will just knock your socks off before they trust you. Paul is clear, you won't find the answer here. You see, the strongest logic, the most convincing argument in the world cannot save your friend. Nor can a powerful manifestation of God in their life convince them. These things are good, but... They do nothing to save or transform a person. You know, I've, I've failed a lot in this area. I've, I had a friend at uni, and he was in my uh, friendship group, and, uh, but he wasn't a believer. And I, I felt like I was, in my arrogance, that I was smarter than him, and that if I could just have a philosophical argument with this guy, uh, then I'd be able to convince him, and he'd become a Christian. If you're involved in discipling or leading or evangelism, we need to know where the power truly is to transform lives. Uh, verse 23, uh, keep reading with me. But we preach Christ crucified. It's the message of the cross that is the power of God. Well, let's jump back verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. And we saw that before. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. You see, we couldn't know God unless he revealed himself to us. We couldn't be saved unless God intervened. We are saved through what is preached, the message 
of the gospel, the cross of Jesus that breaks the the power and the penalty of sin in our lives so that we can freely, freely enjoy a relationship with God and look forward to heaven with him. This is what saves people. This is what transforms lives, releases people from addiction, brings peace to troubled spirits, and raises people from the dead. The gospel. And by the world's standards, it's foolishness. But to those God has called, both Jews and Greeks, there's no favoritism. It's for everyone. For everyone. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Uh, in his second letter to this same church, Paul writes this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's victory would come through devastation as Jesus took the sin, upon the world, the, the sin of the world upon himself. The judgment deserved for us would be laid on him. The penalty of sin that we deserve would be paid in full. And rising again to new life, Jesus defeated death and paves the way for our victory over death and eternal life that is secured. God loved you. That he sent his son so that whoever believes in him shall not Perish, but have eternal life. We should expect that this sounds foolish. But to those whom God has opened their eyes can testify to the power of the good news to overcome sin, to experience that peace and that inexpressible joy of knowing God. And this is going to be a stumbling block, Paul says to the Jews, uh, who need a sign. And and it seems stupid to Greeks who are looking for wisdom. But truly, this is God's power alone. So verse 25, we read, wiser than human wisdom and stronger than human strength. So what does this mean for us? It means that the gospel is the message that we proclaim. All the intelligence and strategy and experience and, and, and hospitality of church, though important, isn't what saves people. What saves people is the message of the gospel. Christ crucified. And this is what my friend needs to hear, not some convincing argument from me. Though they're helpful, but what will save him is the gospel alone. So let us let this give us confidence and, and, and boldness. It will seem like foolishness to the world, but for those being saved, those that God is calling, it will be the power of God to save and to transform. So where, where are we searching for human wisdom to be the answer for us when God is calling us to look to the cross? Look to the cross. Remember Paul speaking this to a church that was divided. Understanding what truly 
truly saves us, will give us focus and will give us unity as a church. The Corinthian church was divided because they, they were measuring success by uh, external factors, by other factors. Well, Paul reminds them where God's power truly lay in the gospel. Making the gospel the focus, the message, and the means of our ministry is the place where God is going to work his power. Knowing what saves and what doesn't save. So the second uh, second step to effective ministry is having a good self-awareness, understanding who we are and what power at work in us that we serve in. So a uh, reading from verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. So Paul's just applying what he's just taught to the church members themselves. God called us, not because we are smart or uh, because of our, our class or our position or our, how influential we are. God called us because of the gospel, his grace. The gospel is not awarded to the smartest on the team or the most outstanding citizen. It is God's grace for anyone. You know, God's not going to use us uh, because of our, our cleverness. He's not looking down at City Reach people thinking, wow, what uh, amazing, clever people. I'm going to use them. It's not why he chose us. No, God will choose the lowly things of this world to turn it upside down. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God's always done this. Think of Abraham. He was, he was a nobody. Ruth was a, a foreigner and a widow. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses was a murderer. David was just a shepherd boy. Mary, a virgin girl. Peter, a fisherman. And yet God wants to use uh, these people, all essential in his plan. God's in, the, in the business, God's in the underdog business. Everyone looks on and says it can't be done. It's foolishness. And why does God do this? Why the foolishness of choosing duds like you and me? Verse 29, so that no one may boast before him. God alone gets the glory. God is pleased to take what everyone else has just counted as useless. And instead, uh, to do and make something special out of it. Credit alone belongs to God, not to us. So we need this self-awareness as we serve him. We need to take a look at, our, at, at ourselves. Not one of us was chosen uh, by God because of our position. No one can boast in themselves. The world around us demands credit and attention. It says work for it. You make your way in your, in your life and you boast in your achievements. Yet what we have from God is from God alone so that no one can boast. And Paul keeps stressing, we didn't work this out. There is no place for arrogance 
or for snobbery. So look down at verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. God looks at us and he pronounces us righteous, free from our sin, holy, free from our bondage to sin, all out of the mercy and grace of Jesus, nothing out of what we have achieved. You know, society is telling us, you do you. Uh, you are special. You are, you know, you deserve it. You're worth it. But that just leaves us crippled when we look at ourselves and we know that we don't deserve it. We, we carry this shame and this guilt and, and our weaknesses and our brokenness and, and our mistakes. Or, or we might even look at others and think, they, they don't deserve it. But you know, the gospel tells us you are nothing you you are weak and you are despised because of your broken and sinful state this is our sinful nature but yet god still loves us you are loved god still loves us despite our brokenness god has still chosen us and he wants to use us to shame the world in his amazing plan, God does this. We are the fools of the world, yet because of God, we are in Christ Jesus, righteous, holy, redeemed. This is liberating. This is the message. Verse 31, Therefore, as it is written, let, no, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want to be successful? Stop striving as if it's by your cleverness that God has chosen you. But start resting in the grace of God to take what is foolish in the world, what is low and what is unspecial, to do the unbelievable. How many of us have disqualified ourselves from, from serving or, or leading or, or sharing our faith because we, we think we're not gifted enough or we're not talented enough or we're not important enough? Because of you know, this weakness or um, my past mistakes or, or the current circumstances that I'm in. And we, we, we disqualify ourselves from serving. Well, let me tell you, it's true that you are not good enough and I am not good enough. But God is. God is. And God delights. He's in the business of taking us, the weak and the, in, in, in the uh, incapable, to be a part of his brilliant work in transforming lives. He invites us into that. Out of his grace, he calls us. So what might God be calling you to do that you've been ignoring because you're just writing yourself off? What is God calling you to do? Or maybe who is it that you have written off because you're judging uh, that they're not uh, good enough or, or capable enough and, and we sort of just brush them aside and think they're not... Um, they're not useful. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Paul says we need to have a self-awareness. There's no place for boasting in ourselves. But every bit of glory goes to God because it is completely out of the grace of God 
that he has chosen us. He will use us. And so the self-awareness is actually more, in fact, uh, a self-unawareness because we're not considering ourselves at all. We're, we're this self-forgetfulness because the credit alone is going to God and, and we don't doubt ourselves anymore because we're in the hands of God. When we start forgetting ourselves and start pressing in to God's power, I believe we're going to see him do unbelievable things. So the final part, Paul then applies this to his own ministry, uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and we, we heard it read before. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. In verse 3, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. I wonder about you, but I, I never imagined the Apostle Paul to be like this at all. I mean, I imagine him coming into towns and uh, with this kind of uh, domineering boss man who would just kind of drop spiritual bombs and would debate all the leaders and stand before kings and just wow people with his amazing speeches. But Paul's adamant. He isn't anything special. He, he can't speak like the wise men of the times. His speeches were average. Today, with the abundance of, the, of sermons on the internet, we're expecting to be moved to tears or, or just uh, rocked with laughter, kept on edge or, or dazzled uh, with stunning sneakers. But uh, Paul doesn't care for any of it. Uh, look at this, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Later he says, my message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul was successful. He was fruitful in his ministry because it was the Spirit at work within him. Lives were not changed. Relationships not healed. And dead people were not made alive because Paul was good at preaching. He could give a good speech. God transformed people through the Spirit, through the message of the cross, the gospel. That is how people were transformed. And why? Why does God do this? Because verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So we need to depend on the right things if we're going to be a successful, a fruitful church. You know, in our day and age, we're guilty of elevating professionalism and, uh, and strategy and entertainment and, and appearance at the expense of the gospel. And you know, these things are not bad things. And they're quite helpful, but they do nothing. Nothing when it comes to transforming people's lives. And the dif difference between perishing and being saved is the gospel. So what are you expecting of, of your church? What are you putting your faith in? What are you relying on to see this church grow? We must rest on God's power and his work through the gospel. It may seem foolish. It may seem foolish, but the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, I experienced this on my first a youth camp with City Reach. 
I remember feeling so out of my depth in my first year as a pastor. And, and I knew my talks were nothing uh, hugely entertaining or profound, but I'll never forget seeing five young people stand up and respond to the gospel in faith to give their lives to Jesus as their Lord. And I knew that it was not in me at all. God alone deserved the glory. It was nothing of me or the youth team. It was the Spirit at work. And you know, on the other hand, I've, uh, I could share with you many times when my confidence shifted to my cleverness or, or something profound that I feel like I had to say, and God closed his hand. There is no power in my cleverness. God demonstrates his power through the Spirit in what is preached. That is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what does, it, what does it look like? How, how do you do that? How do you do this? How do you depend on God's power and, and not human wisdom? Uh, so uh, three simple things I want to leave you with today. Uh, the first one is, is question your expectations. Uh, what are you expecting of yourself or, or for your church? And does criticism come from unmet expectations, from a, from a place of love or a place of, of judgmentalism and pride? Or on the other hand, when the gospel is preached, are your expectations too low? God is powerful to transform a life. We must believe it. We must then boast in the Lord and not in ourselves. Uh, secondly, preach the gospel to yourself every day. If you're not sure what the gospel is, then learn it. Ask a friend, ask a leader, ask a pastor. The gospel is the treasure in the field, our confidence to, to come before Christ, the source of life that can, that can transform lives. And so when you wake up, tell yourself who you are in Jesus. When you face temptation to lust or, or to uh, compare or gossip or, or be greedy, preach the gospel to yourself that you are no longer a slave to sin's power and God has provided a way out. And he has true life for you in store. And when you do sin, preach the gospel to yourself that I am forgiven and that God's acceptance is not based upon my works, but his grace alone and that he has the power to transform us to live a life of repentance and faith. Preach the gospel to yourself every day, every morning as you wake up. Do it. Tell yourself. And lastly, don't underestimate the prayer meeting. God works through the Spirit's power, and without Him, we are powerless. Yet God has promised us, God has promised us that when we ask, He will give us His Spirit. In your community groups, don't underestimate the time that you spend in prayer. Or in your own personal time with the Lord, come before Him with boldness to ask of your needs. When we meet for pre-service prayer, come humbly, come expectantly, come joyfully, knowing that we work in the Spirit's power and not out of our cleverness or efforts. As the old psalm says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. So we call upon God to build this house. So don't underestimate the prayer meeting. Paul's appealed to the Corinthians to be perfectly united because our hope is not in the cleverness of people but in the power of God through the gospel. All our boasting, 
all our glory, all our efforts, just we give to him. God alone is to be praised. You see, God has taken you and me unworthy, lowly, sinful, and he's redeemed us and, and he's lifted us on high. He rescues us from our shame, makes us a new creation. Now Romans 5 says that we're justif- because we're justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And by this faith, in this grace, we now stand and we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And later that he'll then say, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were powerless, God chose the lowly things of this world, you and me, to shame the strong. So let's boast in him. Let's worship him tonight. Is this foolishness to you or is it the power of God? And so I want to finish with us tonight. Uh, a, um, it's called a doxology from Romans chapter 11. And I want, I want to read this. And, and as I do, let's worship the Lord for what he has done for us through the gospel. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, I worship you and we praise you that um, you have taken the lowly things of the world and you've lifted us up. You've redeemed us, set us free. Thank you for your cross, Lord, that you would rescue us, that you would pay the penalty that we deserved. Lord, help us to rely on and, uh, and look to your gospel for transformation in the Spirit's power. Lord, forgive me and uh, forgive us for looking to human wisdom to, to succeed or to be effective, to be obedient to you instead of depending on and looking to your gospel. So Lord, help us. Help us. Renew our minds. Give us a true sense of uh, your gospel that we would see at work in transforming lives around us. And we do long to see you glorified and magnified and lifted up and, and many in our communities come to know you. And Lord, in this time of, of uh, fear and isolation, God, please work powerfully through what we see uh, cannot be done. We know that through the foolishness of the cross that uh, it it is the power of God. It it is your power to save. So we call upon you, God, and say, please save, save our friends, save our family member. Please work, work through us, your church. We devote ourselves to you, God, and we just worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.